Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning, you should have your Bible at home uh, with you. Uh, we're continuing our series in Galatians this morning. We're reading Galatians chapter 2 and verses 1 through to 10. This is Paul uh, continuing his testimony uh, about all that has happened to him. So Galatians 2 and verses 1 through to 10. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Amen. God will bless his reading from his holy word. Let's just still ourselves before the Lord in prayer before we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word which in all its parts is trustworthy. Scripture which is God-breathed and which can pierce us to the quick. And we pray that as we gather around your word today, that you would give us all wisdom and understanding and that you would speak into our hearts and minds through your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could have a church service any way that you wanted it, what would it be like? What elements would you include and what elements would you leave out? One of the things we've, of course, missed over the past 15 months or so is congregational singing, isn't it? But if you were designing a service, what kind of hymns would you go for? Would you go for traditional, 
or contemporary? Would the singing be a cappella? Would it be organ or piano or full band, electric guitar, drums? Would it be dance music? Would it be rap? How many would you go for? And would you spread your your praise songs throughout your service or have them all grouped together at the beginning or at the end? Is hand-raising acceptable or dancing or clapping? Would you use the Lord's Prayer? And what version of the Lord's Prayer would you use? And how about the sermon? Indeed, would you have one? Would you just have discussion groups? And if you were having a sermon, how long would it be? Would it be seven minutes? I know someone who was training for the ministry whose supervisor didn't let them preach for longer than seven minutes. Would it be eight minutes? I preached once at a presbytery occasion and was told no longer than eight minutes. Would it be ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes? Would it be an hour? That's what happens in some churches, isn't it? Decisions, decisions. There are lots to make, and that's just for one service of worship. Now, today we're turning in our study in Galatians to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And if I was giving this passage a heading, I'd probably give it the heading, different emphasis, but the same gospel. Different emphasis, but the same gospel. Now, just to remind you of the context here. Remember that Paul in this letter to the Galatian church is defending himself against the accusations being made against him that the gospel he is preaching is defective. You see, Paul has been preaching this gospel of grace. All you need to do is to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. But there are those who have come to the Galatians who are saying that that to be a true Christian, that more is needed that believers needed to be circumcised. Yes, believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised. Or you need to to follow all the statutes of the law. And they're claiming that because Paul isn't teaching these things, that he isn't a true apostle, that he's just regurgitating what he's heard from others, and so they're attacking his ministry. And so Paul is refuting these claims. Now, we saw last week how Paul gave testimony as to how his life had been completely turned around by his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and how his calling and the gospel he is preaching is from God, it's not from men. Remember what Paul said last week? You know, he'd gone to Damascus, he was going to persecute the church. He was going to imprison believers. He had no thought of becoming a Christian. But then Jesus met with him, and his life was completely turned around. It was all of God, nothing to do with men. And Paul goes on to testify. He didn't go up later to, uh, and he didn't go up until later to Jerusalem. And so he couldn't have just got his gospel and been regurgitating what he'd heard before. It was later he went on to Jerusalem and met with Peter and James. Now in today's passage, Paul continues his testimony and goes forward 14 years when again he went to Jerusalem. Now, 
It seems likely that this encounter took place in Acts chapter 11 and chapter 12. And he took with him Barnabas, who Paul did ministry with, who's like a missionary partner with him, and also Titus. Now, crucially, Titus was a Gentile convert. Now, as he meets with the leaders in Jerusalem, Paul is humble enough to present to them the gospel that he's been proclaiming among the Gentiles. He proclaims to them, this is the gospel I've been telling, you know, the Galatian church and other places where I've been. You see, he hasn't received the gospel from those in Jerusalem, but he wants to make sure that it is the same gospel that they also are preaching. And even though Paul is sure of the gospel that he has received by revelation, he's humble enough to want it to be affirmed. Now, what's the conclusion from those in Jerusalem? Well, the conclusion is even Titus was not compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Now, why why is that important? But what's clearly shown here is that Paul's gospel is affirmed. And those in Jerusalem don't see the need for Titus to be circumcised. And so they're, they're not imposing something else on Titus. Paul's gospel is adequate. And there is a recognition of freedom in Christ that Gentile believers do not need to then become Jews to then become Christians. And those who were leaders, those in high esteem, as Paul states in verse 6, they added nothing to Paul's message. They added nothing. What Paul preached and was preaching was affirmed by them as the gospel, the full gospel. All that is noted here is that whilst Paul had a calling to go to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, that Peter, Cephas, had been given the task of going to the uncircumcised. And God is at work in both. He's at work in both Paul and in Peter. And James, Peter, and John give give Paul the right hand of fellowship. Not just a, a simple greeting, but again, an affirmation of what Paul was doing and the gospel he was proclaiming. You're part of us, Paul. That's why we give the the right hand of fellowship when we have new members, new elders. We're affirming what's happening in their life. Indeed, they agreed that Paul, Barnabas, and Titus should go to the Gentiles whilst they would go to the circumcised. All they asked is that the poor are remembered. And so what, what I want you to see here is that while the emphasis might be different, it's the same gospel that's being preached. And this is exactly Paul's point. There is unity in the gospel and what the gospel message is, whilst there is diversity in what that looks like for Jew and for Gentile. Crucially, a Gentile does not need to conform to Judaism to then become a Christian. So what I want you to see this morning is the gospel is a gospel of grace. To believe and trust in Jesus is enough. Paul's gospel 
His gospel message is from God, and it's affirmed by those in Jerusalem who give him the right hand of fellowship. There is also the recognition that the calling on Paul's life as an apostle to the Gentiles is different from the calling on Peter's life as an apostle to the Jews. One gospel, different callings, different emphasis, but they are bound together in the gospel. Even whilst there may be differences in other aspects, including cultural aspects, traditions, and more, it's the same gospel, a gospel of grace. Which brings us back to the church now. You see, when I asked you earlier what your ideal church service would look like, I wonder what you decided. What did you decide in your mind? What did your praise look like? Was it modern? Was it traditional? Was it somewhere in between? What about the length of the sermon? Maybe this one's too long. What about the other elements of the service? As you went over your ideal service in your head, I wonder if it was identical to everyone else's. I guess it wasn't, was it? You see, there might be common themes, there might be common preferences, but we must be aware that they are preferences. They aren't at what the center of what the gospel is all about, which is all about Jesus. And we must be very careful of adding things to the gospel of Jesus, which aren't really of the essence, but which are simply personal preferences. And we must be careful that we don't make certain things like style of worship and effectively say, you're not a true Christian unless you conform to this. Now I want to finish today with a confession and a story. The confession is this. I listen to Radio 2. Now I've just turned 40 and so that's probably an acceptable thing. Now that's okay, isn't it, to listen to Radio 2? But I have actually listened to Radio 2 for years since my teens. I blame my mum and dad for that because I used to go with my dad to university early in the morning and he had Terry Wogan on in the car and so I listened to to Radio 2. But I remember in my earlier teens listening to to music on Radio 2 and thinking, this just isn't for me. This is for for older people. It always seemed to be music from the, the 40s and 50s. Oh, what is that screeching? Oh, dear. Instead, much preferred Radio 1 or Clyde 1. But of course, tastes change, don't they? Whilst I would now listen to Radio 2, and I confess, I've even occasionally been found listening to Radio 4, that my own boys prefer to listen to West FM. Now, I can't really stand West FM. Oh, it's too noisy. I have my preference, but it's important I don't make that an absolute. A number of years ago, I went with a youth group. I was one of the youth group leaders to a Christian praise event. And at this Christian praise event, which would have been in the mid to late 90s, there was a Christian dance band called the Worldwide Message Tribe. They were later called the Tribe. And at this youth event, there was this song called Jumping in the House of God. And let me tell you, it was raucous. It was wild. There was young people jumping up and down, and the place was shaking. 
Now, the church I'd been brought up in wasn't that traditional. But this song, I just felt, was, was too much. It just seemed irreverent. And so I made my way to the kind of back of the hall and just kind of watched on as all this was happening. And it was still going on, young people jumping up and praising God, really loud music. And as I stood at the back of the hall, I had to check myself. Because I had this sudden thought. Maybe this is what heaven's like. You see, I don't like dance music or rap music. That's my personal preference. But these were real people praising God in a way that they felt was appropriate. And who am I to to deny that? You see, when we go to heaven, what kind of worship is it going to be? Is it all going to be CH4 and Mission Praise or Revised Church Hymnary that I was brought up with? Probably not. Is it going to be all hill songs and Bethel music? Probably not either. But that's not the point, is it? Because when we're in heaven, whatever praise looks like, our focus is going to be so taken up with the Lord. And that's what it's about. And so I say to you today, let's not add anything to the gospel. In church life, we can be so guilty of that, saying, oh, I don't like it. You know, I want it to be, to be my way. But that doesn't make other people's ways different or wrong. They are just different. Peter had a calling to go to the Jews. Paul to the Gentiles. Different callings, different emphasis, but the same gospel. And that's the key thing. You see, how often in church do we get het up about form, ways of doing things, forgetting what is of the essence that it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. As I said at the beginning of the service, and I'm a commissioner at the General Assembly this week. And there are some encouraging things happening in the Church of Scotland, but there are also some serious challenges. Serious challenges. Membership in the Church of Scotland is going through the floor. Between 2015 and 2019, the Church of Scotland lost 50,000 members. The Church of Scotland now has 300,000 members, thereabouts. There are very few professions of faith. The average church last year in the Church of Scotland had how many professions of faith? Zero. Zero. None. 40% of full-time ministers are over 60 with 60% of ministers due to retire in 10 years' time, within the next 10 years. It's sobering, isn't it? Therefore, it's imperative that we keep the main thing the main thing, that we proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, that we worship him, no matter what form that might take that we lay aside some of our personal preferences and say, look, some of the things that we might be doing as a church maybe not my thing, but it's important for the life of the church and for the future of the church. Can you imagine if in the early church 
that things were just done as they had been done in Jerusalem. But it was only Jews, and there was no outreach to Gentiles. And yet, we see the progression throughout the book of Acts, don't we? How the Gentiles also came into the kingdom. And it was a change. A change in how Paul reached out to them. I say to you this morning, let's not run our race in vain. Let's not put stumbling blocks in people's way. Let's lay aside our personal preferences and our pet projects. Let's see where God is at work and rejoice at a God who brings unity and diversity. There is one gospel. It was proclaimed by Peter. It was proclaimed by Paul. We still proclaim that gospel today. It's a gospel of grace about Jesus crucified and risen, that we might be forgiven and that we might have hope. Let's continue to preach that gospel in whatever way we can, in whatever context we find ourselves. And let's lay everything else to the side. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this day. And we thank you for the challenge that it brings to us. Because we recognize that there were those who were attacking Paul's ministry, who were saying that the gospel that he preached was inadequate. They were trying to add to it. And Lord God, in our own way, sometimes we can be guilty of adding to the gospel, believing that church is not church if it's not done in a certain way or with a certain form, and we ask for forgiveness for that. Lord God, we pray that you would challenge our own hearts and that you would help us always to keep Jesus at the very center of all that we say all that we do as individuals and also as a church family. We do pray this day, Lord God, for the church here in West Kilbride. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to grow in faith and that you would help us as we reach out into our community, that we would be salt and light for you. And we do pray especially for the Church of Scotland at this time as it meets in General Assembly. We pray for all the decisions that are made, that they would be godly decisions and wise decisions and would be for the furtherance of your kingdom. That it wouldn't be about protecting status or power, but it would be all about you, Lord Jesus. So, Heavenly Father, we lift ourselves and the church local and national before you now. In Jesus' name, amen.